Good day. I'm Dr. Charles Dedham. I'm chairman of TMIT Global and one of the co-founders of the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program. I'll be both a speaker and your moderator today. We're so very blessed you're joining us to learn how to keep your family safe. It is my honor to introduce Jennifer Dingman today. However, she has taken sick this morning. Uh, Jennifer is typically our voice of the patient and has been for uh, this uh, now our 12th uh, course that we've provided to essential critical workers and the general public. Uh, she is the founder of Pulse, which is a patient safety program. And Jennifer has also been a steadfast proponent of patient safety and the voice uh, of the patient, which we uh, will add to our uh, on-demand version of this, pre this, pre this recording today. We're really delighted to have a terrific group of speakers and reactors who've been with us all the way along uh, our program and, and very, very, um, uh, very appreciative of the fact that we have Dr. Greg Boats live today. Typically, he's on uh, duty at the ICU in, at MD Anderson. We have Heather Foster, who is a ICU uh, nurse and nurse preventionist. Uh, Chief uh, Bill Adcox, who is the Chief Security Officer and Chief Quality op or Chief Security Officer and Chief of Police uh, at the University of Texas at Houston for the Texas Medical Center and MD Anderson. Randy Steiner, who is a leader at the University of California, Irvine in emergency uh, preparedness. Uh, we'll have David Beshk on video today, who's actually teaching. Uh, and we have Jamie Iristorsa, Paul Bataya, uh, Charlie Denham, uh, uh, Danny Policicio, Meli Rubelkava, and Perry Bechtel as part of our student outreach team because uh, the, the area of great opportunity is to train our youth and young who can really carry for, forth our mission. Uh, MedTAC actually was founded in 2015, and it is really the merger of uh, the best medical practice and the best tactical practices for the eight leading causes of preventable death by emergencies that you'll hear more, a little more about. Um, and we have had a number of articles uh, published in the Campus Safety Magazine and have produced a number of multimedia programs. Today's webinar uh, is focused uh, both on uh, the new normal and what we can do in bystander rescue care, but also reinforcing some of the most important factors uh, pertinent to family safety plans. And so the article uh, regarding family safety uh, will support the, the webinar. Our background, for those of you that are new to us, is that we have uh, had the development of our network of over 3,100 leaders at three, in 3,000 communities and uh, a pool of more than 500 subject matter experts who we've worked with over the last uh, uh, 35 to 37 years. The, the slide um, showing the 500 subject matter experts is a graphic representation for privacy reasons, but we have uh, physicians, nurses, administrators, board members, governance leaders, uh, financial experts, and a number of emergency medicine experts and EMTs, uh, in addition to those that are caring for patients uh, and family caring for patients in the community. Um, in March of uh, 2020, recognizing that, the, uh, that a, a role that could be played would be to serve the families of our essential critical workers, those declared by the Department of Homeland Security to have to continue to work as essential workers. And then added to that group were educators in August of 
2020. So our program has really been developed for the families of those critical essential workers. Some are clinical, many are law enforcement, many are technical, and you can see them um, on the slide. So we've produced a series of long um, videos that are our survive and thrive series as well as short videos that are short modules you can watch on uh, your phones we're updating them and curating the content constantly and we like to thank our now more than a hundred and it probably is about 130 subject matter experts who have contributed to this series now uh, over a, a year to focus on um, uh, with our community of care for coronavirus uh, and, the, and families uh, uh, that are experiencing infections. In addition to those that have been active contributors, we've also used video clips from our two prior films, which are Discovery Channel films that are available free on our website, and a third that we have in the pipeline uh, entitled Three Minutes and Counting Bystanders Care. And we have a number of individuals that have been leaders in government, astronauts, uh, leaders in business uh, who have been wonderful contributors. So today's topic is really to talk about the new normal. We're heading, hopefully, and I always coin myself as a recovering optimist, but that I'm on the wagon of reality. We hope that this might be one of our last survive and thrive programs focused on coronavirus. But once we reach the new normal, we are advocates of maintaining what we call the four Ps, which is prevention, preparedness, protection, and performance improvement. And prevention means, primary prevention is that something bad won't happen because of what we've done. And secondary prevention means uh, that we want to reduce the harm uh, that might occur if an event occurs. Preparedness is being in a state of readiness and practicing that. Dr. Boats has really shared much about what we could do there as a great expert in that area and simulation. Protection is what we can do when the bad event occurs uh, to reduce harm, and then performance improvement is what can we learn from others and what can we learn from uh, those cases. So uh, uh, I'd like to just uh, ask uh, Chief Adcox, who is a real pioneer in threat safety science and someone who we've been working very closely with and helped co-found MedTAC uh, to uh, share with us the idea of left of boom. Bill, would you help explain uh, to us the concept of left of boom and I'll back up back to the to the four Ps to have you kind of describe what that is? Uh, yes, thank you, Dr. Denham. Um, and welcome everyone to the program. The uh, left of boom was coined by the United States military uh, during the Middle Eastern uh, uh, conflicts and wars. Um, what was happening there was they were losing a lot of American soldiers were being uh, their lives were being taken or they were badly injured in uh, IED or, or improvised explosives devices that were blowing up their vehicles, particularly their Humvees. So they, they went to Congress and obtained uh, funding to harden basically the protection piece, uh, uh, secondary prevention, so that they could harden these vehicles so they wouldn't suffer the losses that they were suffering. Uh, but they found out that they needed to get left of boom, the explosion, the damage. And that means how do you get the primary prevention and that was working in the communities in the different, uh, in, that, in that case, the different tribes and in, in the different villages and communities and building relationships, getting the information channels, the intelligence, uh, helping them with water purification systems, whatever they could do, but they needed the funding to do that. So they called, how do we get left to boom? So they wouldn't even ha have to worry about 
in many cases, you know, the explosion and potential damage and death. So that's really where Left to Boom came from, was how do we do a, a better job in, in preventing, primary prevention of bad events. Thank you, Bill. And we'll be coming back to you again as we uh, proceed forward. Um, so for those of you that haven't been attending uh, our programs, we this is our 12th Survive and Thrive Guide course uh, that we have uh, created uh, uh, over uh, the last more than one year. And our focus on, on doing so, we started with coming home safe and addressing contamination and potential risk way back when this all started. Keeping our kids safe was doing risk assessments for our families and making sure to know what to do, which is still apply today now as we're looking at outbreaks and the variants that we'll talk about. Creating your own family safety plan, using templates for such plans, um, and providing care at home. And uh, uh, Heather Foster, our nurse preventionist, was with working closely with Dr. Boats helped us figure out how to create uh, a care room at home if we have to care for someone at home to protect the rest of the family. We addressed emergency rescue skills with our leading emergency medicine doctors from Mayo Clinic, uh, Dr. Casey Clements and uh, Dr. Chris Fox from UCI. What to do when your family's in the ICU, Dr. Boats was instrumental in helping us understand that. And then the vaccines variants and the road to victory also uh, addressing the long haulers and those that are developing this long haul condition, which we're seeing more and more of. And then our last session was the 10 best practices for reopening. But today is really we're heading towards the future. And as we look at now integrating the four P's, and if you were to say, well, where are your core, how would your courses fit across the four P's? that we've graphically represented that uh, in, in this uh, image to be able to show where they would all fit. And we're actively cure, working at curating uh, these um, uh, curating these courses to bring them up to date. So each course will have a short introduction to say what's new and what would be appropriate. In our last program, we addressed 10 principles that are absolutely critical to understand as you then adopt these 10 best practices. And I won't read the slide for you, but it's critical that we break family transmission chains and really take care of our families as we head forward. And now as we will start to focus on bystander rescue care with Dr. Greg Boats, uh, we wanna keep that in mind. Now, our strategy has been to stay within the swim lanes of CDC and the NIH and be able to consult the whatever is recommended by WHO, but CDC is our leading organization to set the guidelines and working very closely with people like Jamie Iristorsa, who is now an in, in, incoming medical student at the University of Nebraska, worked on uh, updating our written documentation, but also our video scripts to make sure that we integrated that. And when we look at family safety plans, and we look at the science, the science is continually evolving and the CDC provides us the what, but what we say is that we uh, are, are addressing uh, and converting what they say uh, and what they share, share with us as the what into the how. So our goal is to turn the science into safety and that is to take the what they're telling us and then to apply that science to how uh, you would keep your family safe, whether you're a, whether you're a medical student with with um, with roommates or a college student uh, or you're a high school student and you're trying to influence your family. So uh, so what's new uh, about 
how we must look at now these courses before we now will talk about bystander rescue care is that this Delta variant, uh, which we're watching in the news and the variants that may come behind it, uh, we must pay attention to because uh, uh, the Delta variant is likely the most dangerous that's come down the pipe. If we look at the graphics, uh, reg graphically represent what's called the r naught number or the transmissibility probability of transmission, you can see that uh, each of these variants that have happened since the original virus have increasingly become more transmissible. And unfortunately, not only have they become more transmissible, they're likely to be more lethal and they're likely to be more uh, likely to infect our young. So the alpha variant was the UK variant. It was a 50, about 50% more transmissible than the original one. 50% transmissibility doesn't mean it's 50% more contagious or there are 50% more people that get infected. That's 11.4 times as many people will be infected. So in a 30-day period, if you had a virgin population and you, you, you had somebody go into that population with no protection, they would infect about 406 people. Um, now with the UK variant at 50% increase, that's about 4,900 people, 11.4 times as much. Um, uh, the South African variant is also more transmissible. The good news is that they appear to be sensitive to the vaccines, which is which is great. Uh, but it's important that you have the second dose of the two dose uh, mRNA by, uh, vaccines. The Brazilian variant is also very contagious, but this Delta and the Delta Plus um, uh, variants uh, are probably 50% more uh, transmissible, which again, that's 11.4 times as much uh, um, of, uh, number of people that might be infected in a 30-day period. Now, there are many factors that would mitigate against that. The people that have vaccines, the people that are maintaining social distance, the population kinetics of how close people are bu bumping into each other, the population density, and many, many other things. But we need to really take these variants seriously. So as we look forward to uh, moving forward, we're not out of the woods yet. And we still have many states that uh, have less than 35% as, yes, as of yesterday, less than 35% of our population vaccinated. So the probability is there will be outbreaks across our country, but it will, they will be more localized, dependent upon who's been vaccinated, population kinetics, and many factors we don't even understand. I like what Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, Osterholm says from the University of Minnesota, we must be humble. We really don't understand why there was a big outbreak in Mi Michigan. And in the next state, Indiana, um, there wasn't. We just don't know why. So there's a lot that we don't know. But those that are forecasting potential impact, there could be some worst case scenarios that are risky. So let's talk about what we're doing now going forward. Enough about the past. Uh, we have a group of wonderful students that are leading a program called Take the Shot, Save a Life. It's to focus on uh, vaccine hesitancy. You see, a number of them are on today. This is just a, a, a subset of the entire group. Uh, they hail from, uh, from uh, universities including Harvard, Yale, Princeton, USC, uh, University of California, uh, Santa Barbara, UCSD, you'll hear from Melanie Rubalcava uh, shortly, uh, Stanford alums, uh, University of Cincinnati, uh, we have Danny Policicio from NYU, uh, and we have a number of young adults who are either college students, 
fresh alums or very active in the uh, young adult population under uh, age of 30. Uh, and they've just done a terrific job uh, working on this program. And the program is actually to, to reach out to high school, college, and young adults through by having what we call the vaccination conversation. This, uh, this slide actually shows uh, not all of the universities and colleges that are represented. And the issue is regarding the vaccination conversation. So what we're going to do is show the short videotape of the vaccination conversation. This is what someone would share with someone else. It addresses the very recent cardiac uh, uh, myocarditis, uh, the risk from vac uh, vaccines as uh, were, were addressed last week. And this is the, the fresh version of this uh, video. And after that, we'll have our students and young adults in addition to Randy Steiner uh, comment uh, on them. So I'll show you that video now. The Take the Shot, Save a Life program has been designed for our youth and young adults to lead and serve in their communities. Thank you for having the vaccination conversation with a member of our national student and young adult team. Each member is earning community service credit for their work and leadership. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes with them. They're willing to help lead us on the bridge to recovery from the COVID crisis. Our goal is to help those who may be vaccine hesitant and help them move forward. Those who want answers to their questions, hope to overcome their worries, and those who want to learn how easy it is to book the shot. The real power lies in the trust of families and friends who want to save their own lives and care about saving the lives of others. The expansion of vaccine eligibility to include those from 12 to 15 years provides a great new opportunity for our youth, students, and young adults to serve. This program provides what we need to help accelerate vaccination of young friends and families to win the race to community immunity. Our seniors have historically been the most vulnerable to COVID. However, the majority of the elderly have already been vaccinated. Most people are very surprised to hear that there is a spring surge of hospitalizations in teenagers, with nearly one-third requiring intensive care and 5% having to be on ventilators. This is why we need a rapid response. A rapid response team of college students, alumni, and faculty from leading universities and medical centers have developed this initiative that combines on an existing platform of family-targeted COVID safety solutions. This video is intended to introduce the vaccination conversation and help answer the key questions of why vaccinate, why you, and why now. Our team of coaches have produced a number of short video clips and drilled down answers for the most common questions that dispel the myths. Our student leaders will offer to play them and address key issues that are important to you. They'll even offer to help you book a vaccination if you wish. The program grew out of our coronavirus care community of practice, launched when the COVID crisis hit New York and Italy in March of 2020. Our group of now more than 100 subject matter experts and community leaders have contributed to monthly live broadcasts and Survive and Thrive guide courses for families. Their work was complemented by expert opinion clips from our two prior Discovery Channel documentaries. More than a year later, now in the second quarter of 2021, we're in a life and death race between vaccines and the variants. The problem. 
were suffering COVID fatigue and relaxed safe practices, while at the same time, coronavirus variants such as the B117 UK variant, now called Alpha, the South African variant, now called Beta, the P1 variant from Brazil, now called Gamma, and the variant discovered in India called Delta may be more contagious, more lethal, and more likely to infect our young and young adults. Many young people don't know they can have long-term consequences to COVID. They can have brain fog, impact on their athletic abilities, and long-term organ damage, even from mild COVID infections. Nation states and conspiracy voices are sowing fear and myths of disinformation that have hit the echo chamber of the internet. Compounding the problem is vaccine hesitancy, such as in the BIPOC groups, Black, Native American, and people of color populations, and also in our young adults who feel less vulnerable, yet they can be super spreaders. The majority of those who have not yet been vaccinated are those who are likely to wait and see, those who are undecided, and those who need easy access to vaccine appointments. They are not those who have definitely decided against vaccines. The vaccine hesitant are a great opportunity for community service impact by our young leaders. Our solution? To engage students and young adults in our high schools, colleges, and membership networks to have the vaccination conversation with their friends and families, dispel the myths with truths, and help everyone book a vaccination shot. After our students play this video, They'll play any of our two to three minute FAQ answer clips of our experts and college student coaches. They answer the most common worrisome questions and dispel the most common myths with the scientific truths. They provide their personal message to youth and other young adults. They have coached our youth to listen to your questions, explore your concerns, share the latest information, and if you wish, help you book a vaccination appointment. The ultimate outcomes of our community service can be described in terms of the head, heart, hands, and voice. Head, what do we want you to know? We want you to know about the benefits of the vaccines and the risks of the viral variants. These life-saving benefits so greatly outweigh the short-term side effects of the vaccines. Heart, what do we want you to feel? The hope to overcome fear and hesitancy and the joy of the freedom vaccines give us. Hands, what do we want you to do? Vaccinate. And voice, what do we want you to say to your friends and family? Your message to help them get vaccinated and to expand our community immunity. What about all the myths? Our college students, alumni, and faculty experts have created very short video clips of their stories and evidence-based messages to those who are vaccine eligible. They answer the most common and worrisome questions and dispel the most common myths with the scientific truths. They provide their own personal message to youth and other young adults. Our answers to the frequently asked questions can dispel the myths and disinformation that have hit the echo chamber of the internet. So there are a lot of myths out there. Some people think that the vaccines give them COVID. Some people even think that they, they get sterile after getting vaccinated. And some people even think that the vaccines come with some sort of microchip or device. I'm here to tell you that there is no evidence for any of that. Why vaccinate? The easiest answer is that the short-term and the long-term harm from COVID are easily far greater than the side effects of the vaccine. One common question I get about the COVID vaccine is about side effects. 
And side effects are really nothing to be concerned about. It's a no brainer to get the vaccine versus COVID. Nobody wants COVID. COVID causes brain fog, long-term harm, and even multi-system organ damage. And this is something nobody wants to deal with. The side effects of a headache, a fever, only last a few days and they're nothing compared to the long-term effects of COVID. You should not be concerned about the side effects and this should not cause a delay in you getting the vaccine. This spring, an extremely rare condition of inflammation of the heart called myocarditis was described in young people 16 and older, several days after vaccination and more likely after the second dose. They have mild symptoms and recover very quickly. The CDC and the major healthcare organizations of physicians and experts in pediatrics and cardiology evaluated the data and continue to vigorously recommend our youth and young people be vaccinated due to the far greater risk of damage to their hearts from COVID infections. It's really important that young people understand that cardiac myositis or inflammation of the heart is very rare and the damage that can be caused by it is much less severe than what can happen from COVID. I recommend that all young people get the vaccine. It's very safe. The new variants can be more contagious, more lethal, and more prone to infect children. The approved vaccines will protect you. They are very safe. You can save your life and the lives of those you love. The science is solid. Our FAQ answer videos will address your concerns. I'm incredibly excited to know that the vaccines work on all races the Black community, the Native American community, and all people of color. Uh, regardless of age, young and old, they are incredibly effective. I've had mine, and except for some mild side effects, I'm incredibly thankful that I am protected against COVID-19. Take a shot, save a life. Not only are you saving your own life, but the vaccination prevents you from spreading the virus to others. Young people are the biggest group of asymptomatic spreaders. You can spread the virus without even knowing it. Take a shot and you will save lives. And remember, if you're vaccinated, you can shed your mask both indoors and outdoors. Why you? Our seniors are the most vulnerable. However, they're the group that is most vaccinated. The fastest growing group of hospital admissions and harm are in the young. The young who are most likely to spread the disease without knowing it. Every age group has enormous benefits from community immunity. Our answers to the top questions, including harm to the young, COVID long haul disorders, and infertility are very compelling. You don't wanna get long haul COVID. There is dangers of brain fog. I'm an actress and that's my future and that's what I wanna do. So I need to make sure that I'm being safe, looking ahead for my future. And I'm also asthmatic and that's my pre-existing condition. So I wanna make sure that I'm being COVID safe for myself, for my family, and for others. We launched MedTech at Stanford for varsity student athletes and now asked them how important long haul impact would be on athletes. Extremely important. I mean, I think as an athlete, um, your cardiovascular health is, is critical to being able to train no matter what position or sport you play, um, being able to put your body through um, endurance testing and off-season training is, is critical to setting yourself up for success during the season. Why now? In order to get back to life at a new normal, it's critical that we reach immunity in your community and herd immunity across the nation. The longer you wait, the greater the risk to you and your family. 
and the more likely it is that we'll have tougher viral variants to beat. The virus and the vaccines are in a life and death race, a race we can win. So I would say we are currently in a really important point in the pandemic. And if you look at the data, we can tell to your own health as well as to the public health, there's no reason to wait. So I would encourage all of you to have the conversations, to look at the data, to share the information that you know, and encourage everybody to get this vaccine as soon as possible. There's really no reason to wait. I just got my second dose yesterday and I'm feeling really good this morning. I've had zero side effects. I've already been on a run this morning. I encourage anyone who's worried about side effects with the vaccine to just go ahead and do it. Um, even if you do have some sort of side effect, they're going to be very minor and short term. And at the end of the day, it's a lot better than getting COVID. So I encourage everyone to go out there, get vaccinated. I hope you guys all get vaccinated to see the lives of your family. Please let us know if you know other individuals, high school or college student leaders, team coaches, scout leaders, or faith-based organizations who may be interested in joining our program. Take the shot, save a life, I did. We are so grateful to our youth, college students, and young adults for helping lead us to a better future of community immunity. We really can win this race. The care of our communities is absolutely critical. Thank you for all you're doing to protect those at risk and those who are most vulnerable. As we say to all of our MedTAC bystander rescue care teams, we have to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Everyone is a patient and everyone can be a caregiver. So we are very, very uh, pleased to have uh, had uh, such a great group uh, to work with. Uh, on this uh, on this program, and we're really blessed to have a number of them uh, here with us uh, with us today. Um, what I'd like to do is just uh, 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 be able to address this program and first off ask Randy Steiner, who is a leader at the University of California, Irvine uh, in emergency preparedness. He is a published author. His family has been had terrific uh, uh, contributors to emergency preparedness uh, after a plane crash as a, as a young person. Uh, he has been a scout leader in the Orange County community and uh, helped lead a search and rescue program undertaken here with uh, young scouts. And so, uh, uh, Randy, can you uh, just react to uh, the video? Uh, Paul Batia is uh, one of our contributors from UCI who you've seen and and the experience you've had at UCI working with college students. Yeah, first of all, an outstanding video. That's just a great resource. Exactly the message that we've been working to to get out to the community, particularly to the young people. You know, the uh, the the bell curve um, you know graph really says it all that we have that that sort of middle section of vaccine hesitancy that is still we can tap into and we can still convince those people to go and get the vaccinations. You know, working with uh, uh, Paul and the Anteater EMS group has just been such an outstanding um, experience at UCI. <clears throat> they have really just contributed um, so well as part of getting getting the word out to their peers and to their you know fellow students about not just the vaccine, but participating in the recovery. You know, they were instrumental in constructing the, uh, the mobile field hospital at the UCI Medical Center. Um, now they're going to be taking it down by the grace of God. Um, they were also our primary emergency uh, medical technicians at our um, uh, vaccine site. We did stand up a vaccine site at, a, at UCI where we distributed approximately 65,000 doses 
of the vaccine. Um, we're very proud of, of the work that we've done there, but there's still you know, a lot of work to get out there, resources like this video, and, and like, especially you, the, 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 the ability of our young people to reach out to each other and to really dispel these myths and to, to, to convince each other that it's the, the importance of the vaccine and the, the risks of the vaccine far outweigh the risks of COVID. And I think that message is getting through with programs like this and, and what, what we're doing here, Chuck. So it's really just encouraging to see, but we've, we've done just incredible things at UCI that we're, we're very proud of in terms of our response and now bringing our students back and our, our student staff and faculty, you know, slowly, we're not doing it quickly. We're, we're doing a very, um, you know, managed approach to bringing staff back and, you know, research and reopening the, the, the university. We're, we're taking all safety precautions to do that, but things are looking, looking good. And it looks like, um, you know, with, with the help of programs like this, we're, we're going we're gonna to come out of this on the other side. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Randy. And I thank you for all you're doing uh, to lead the way in emergency preparedness and working with us and our MedTech program and, and uh, focusing on the, the increasing our ability to respond quickly to help serve the students and faculty there and here in the community in Orange County. Um, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Danny Policicchio. Uh, Danny is an NYU film student. He's been a producer with us with MedTech and been uh, with us uh, right through uh, teaching kids from eight years to 80 years of age. Uh, and helped us document uh, our storytelling. I think most noteworthy about Danny is his commitment to learn uh, and, and to put this, uh, this knowledge to work. And as such is actually, um, is actually uh, one of our leaders that has saved a life. And so Danny, we would just wanna congratulate you for saving the life of someone in New York City. Um, you use the bystander care principles. What message do you have for our audience regarding uh, as, we getting back, as we get back to the new normal? I mean, first off, I'd just like to say thank you for everything over the years, and especially with everything that MedTech has done through the COVID pandemic. I think the best thing to say is just always stay vigilant and stay uh, keep precautions up, even though we're going back to a new normal. And uh, yes, I am using dual monitors for anyone who just brought that up. Um, yeah, no, I think the use of masks and everything and the video really does help spread the message that we're trying to convey and to move forwards. Well, thank you, Danny. I know you pride yourself at being a storyteller, but you're pretty pretty good on camera, as uh, as is uh, Jamie Aristorsa. Uh, Jamie, we'd like to have you comment now. You also were in the film, uh, and you've done a, a fabulous job working with us uh, in uh, helping write the scripts for the videos, our articles, and continuing medical education. Uh, and uh, Jamie is an incoming freshman medical student at the University of Nebraska. Uh, and and a wonderful contributor to uh, the program. Uh, Jamie, your perspective. Well, first, I'd like to just echo Danny's sentiment about thank you, that this has been a tremendous resource, as I know, for so many throughout the entire pandemic. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm very excited that we're hopefully on the cusp of the new normal. But I would like to re-echo that there's lots of things that we can do. Continue to vaccinate, continue to advocate for vaccines that will continue to cement our victory over the pandemic and help us not to slide backward and hopefully um, we won't see another surge due to the delta variant or anything like that so um, 
be vigilant, but um, and and stay ready. That's I suppose that's my that's my final message. Well, fantastic. We're going to come back to you all to react after Dr. Boats shares with us how we can um, improve our ability to protect ourselves and protect the victims of emergencies during the, the end stages of the pandemic and probably the new normal having uh, a lot more uh, infection prevention uh, uh, caregiving that we can do uh, to protect ourselves and the victims uh, when we administer by state of rescue care before EMS arrives. Uh, Perry, your additional comments. Perry is a pre-med student at the University of Florida. Uh, he is an ocean rescue uh, expert, has been a lifeguard, and has been he's been a master uh, MedTech instructor with us uh, since the very beginning. And uh, as 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 are many of the folks that uh, work with us, uh, ocean uh, avid avid watermen and surfers. So, uh, Perry, your thoughts. I think that um, one of the biggest things we can keep doing is just spreading the science. It's been really cool to see a lot of people who were originally pretty vaccine hesitant. Um, a lot of the pressure was coming from either family members, whether parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, that just weren't informed and didn't know the science. And it's really been cool to see that once they kind of understand um, the truth behind it and that a lot of these are just myths and kind of debunking the myths and things like that, that they realize that there's no hesitation in many have gotten the vaccine. So I've definitely seen a, a shift in the past probably month or two of people that are vaccine hesitant, learning the science and eventually going and getting the vaccine. So I think that just keeps spreading the science. And um, I just want to thank you, Dr. Denham, uh, for everything that you've done. Well, fantastic. Uh, you, you all have been terrific. And now I'd like to move to Melanie Rubelkava. Melanie is one of our contributors and volunteered during one of our joint meetings. Uh, we've been doing a lot of production work, so we haven't had as many uh, group discussion meetings because we needed to produce the videos and get everything tied down. Uh, Melanie volunteered to translate the vaccination conversation into Spanish, and she's about 95% done so that we can really target the Hispanic and Latinx uh, communities. And uh, she is actually uh, um, uh, serving today in healthcare and could not be here live. So I recorded her. So Melanie Rubalcaba, she is a pre-med student and an EMT. So as a science student, as a pre-med student, as a, stu as a student who grew up in the Latinx community, I thought it was really important to translate our vaccine conversation video because there, it, we do need to make sure that the Latinx community is included, that they feel educated, and that they trust the science and the vaccines. That way we can head into the new normal of life and we can all be safe and sound. And so uh, we are uh, actually moving towards uh, towards uh, developing the um, the program uh, for the uh, BIPOC communities as well, and uh, we'll have a version uh, for that group uh, uh, as we move forward. So we've got uh, some of our students are doing that. Um, now, Dr. Boats, would you like to comment on what you've heard to date? And then uh, we'll have uh, Heather Foster, and then we'll move right into how we can administer bystander rescue care and have, uh, have you kind of walk us through. But I'd like to see, uh, see what you have to say after hearing our young people and the vaccination conversation. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I'm glad to be here with all of you today. And I have to say, I am really, really impressed with our with our youth and young adult group. They have really stepped up and worked on getting the message about the importance of vaccination as a safety strategy in our communities. And that's really what we're trying to do is 
uh, use the science to translate into actions in our community to provide the best opportunity for safety, for health, um, and for um, uh, their future. And I think that we're seeing it come true. I'm really excited to see our our student leaders step up and take responsibility and be the ambassadors to their peers, which is a group that is at risk just like uh, the adult population. So congratulations to all of you. And Dr. Bo uh, Dr. Boats, many thanks for your help. Uh, Dr. Boats is a professor of anesthesiology and critical care at MD Anderson, also an adjunct clinical professor uh, at the uh, uh, at Stanford University Medical School. And we're, we're so grateful to have uh, the great expertise that you have uh, provided for us. So let's shift gears for a moment and move to uh, our, uh, our core work that began in 2015, focused on eight leading causes of death from emergencies, and these are preventable. These are these are causes of death where we, as bystanders, without medical training, could actually have a, an enormous uh, uh, impact. And if you go to www.medtechglobal.org, uh, you will see uh, and be able to watch video uh, videos regarding that. If you said, "Well, Dr. Denham, tell me," or Chuck, please tell me, what is your cause? And our cause is to defeat failure to rescue. That's our goal. Our goal is what can we do as bystanders who are not medically trained or tactically trained? What can we do as families and in the community before EMS arrives that where we could prevent uh, a death? And these are eight conditions. We've had the, the wonderful opportunity of working with Michael Dorn, one of our leaders in the world on active shooter events. And my conversation with him when we were working on an active shooter event program for Texas Medical Center uh, led uh, us to identify uh, these areas. And it was Michael that really helped us uh, tremendously focus on cardiac out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, choking and drowning, opioid overdose, uh, and poisoning, anaphylaxis, uh, that's the re allergic reaction to, to drugs, uh, insect bites, or medicines, major trauma with a, a major focus on bleeding, severe bleeding uh, after active shooter events, but also other major traumatic events, infection care, and we started there, and we expanded uh, from focusing on wound care to coronavirus, and then transportation accidents and bullying. So, what's our, so what is our solution? Solution. Our solution is uh, to focus on bystander rescue care. That is the care that we can uh, that we can deliver that can have that impact. And I'm going to sh show just a short video uh, tape uh, of, um, of of an introduction of uh, of uh, um, of our MedTech program if uh, if we have time. Uh, however, those are the topical areas that we cover. Uh, what we've done is we talk about this, and we'll go into more de detail of re regarding the, 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 the populations at risk and the enormous impact uh, that we can have uh, through these uh, uh, through these areas of, uh, of bystander rescue care. The first one is out of hospital uh, cardiac arrest. And now we're going to ask Dr. Boats uh, to help us understand what new layers of knowledge and skill, what new layers of knowledge and skill must we have to be able to protect ourselves and the victims of uh, these conditions in a COVID world? So 
it, COVID may be the, pan, the pandemic of this year, and there may be one next year, and there may be, be the one the year after that. We're going to ask Dr. Boats to help us understand what will we do differently at the new normal uh, so that we, we, will, we will not avoid delivering Good Samaritan care, but we can do it more safely. And so uh, you see in the graphic there, uh, this is uh, one from the American Heart Association that uh, I'm sure that he'll expand on. I'm going to share a videotape from uh, University of Texas Health uh, Science Center that really talks about how would we give CPR in a COVID world. It's an excellent video, and you can go back and watch it. Every day, 60 people suffer an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in Texas. Research done at UT Health shows us that there are large and unacceptable disparities in bystander CPR and survival from cardiac arrest particularly among our minority and disadvantaged communities. With your help, we're gonna change that. About 75% of all cardiac arrests happen in the home, which means the most likely person you'll be called upon to help is a loved one. When you do bystander CPR, you can triple the chances of that person surviving. You can assume someone is in cardiac arrest if they collapse suddenly, and then they are breathing okay? abnormally and they're unconscious. In light of the current COVID pandemic, if this happens outside of the home to a stranger, first make sure to put your mask on and then put a cloth over the victim's mouth to minimize the spread of any particles during compressions. All you need to do now is two things. Step one, I want you to take out your phone. You're gonna dial 911. You're gonna put your phone on speaker mode and you're gonna lay it down on the floor next to you. This way your hands are free to do whatever you need to do while the dispatcher is there to also give you further instructions. 911, what's your emergency? Second, you want to make sure that the person is on a hard surface, not a bed. You want to put one hand over the other, use the palm of your hand and aim for the center of the chest. Lock your elbows and push hard and fast. The key to compressions is don't stop. You want to press about 100 to 120 times per minute. You don't need to do mouth to mouth or take off their shirt. The idea is your hands are their heart. And if you stop, even briefly, there's no blood flow. Remember, you cannot mess this up and you will not hurt the person. The only mistake is not starting CPR. Be sure to keep going until professional help arrives. In children, the only difference is that we encourage you to do rescue breaths. We want you to do them at a rate of 30 compressions for two rescue breaths and continue in that cycle over and over again. So just remember, if you see someone suddenly collapse and they're not breathing normally, call 911 and put your phone on speakerphone. Next, put one hand over the other, lock your elbows, aim for the center of the chest and push hard and fast and don't stop until professional help arrives. The only way that you can mess this up is not trying. So now you have all the information you need to help save someone's life. Hopefully together, we can help increase the survival rates of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest for everyone in Texas. Thank you. So Dr. Boats, uh, would you please share with us your thoughts uh, regarding what we can do regarding CPR and out of hospital 
cardiac arrest. We thought the video was really great and it reinforced a number of critical issues. Oh, that's an excellent video. It speaks directly to the actions that we want people to take. Our MedTAC bystander care program has been a bridge between the time that an event occurs and when professional rescuers can arrive. In someone in cardiac arrest, they need CPR in order to survive. If available, they need evaluation with an AED or a defibrillator to see if there's a shockable rhythm. The American Heart Association and others have shown in data that the outcomes in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is no different whether you do ventilations or no ventilations in bystander care. In the face of the COVID pandemic, we have adjusted our approach to not do ventilations to wear your mask and to cover the victim's face with a covering to reduce any aerosolization of, of, the, of their air uh, while you're doing CPR, but nonetheless do uh, good CPR until professional rescuers arrive. Um, that's the new standard that we are using in education for bystanders uh, in CPR. I think it's a very very effective video, and I think it's a very, very effective interventions that bystanders can learn easily. Thank you, Dr. Boats. Uh, now let's move to the next topic uh, uh, of importance, and that is choking and drowning. So Dr. Boats, we know that choking, uh, we know that Dr. Heimlich uh, finally in the last, in, the, in his 93rd year, just before he passed away, he got to save uh, someone's life using the Heimlich maneuver developed in the 1970s. The estimates are 100,000 to 200,000 people whose lives have been saved by the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, and then when we think about drowning and we think about the fact that our drowning victims different, they're a little different than, uh, than having, if I had a sudden cardiac arrest, you're in the next room here in our conference room. If I had a sudden cardiac arrest, it's likely that I have narrowed arteries. Uh, I have adequate oxygenation in my blood. Uh, but when we have uh, children or we have drowning victims, uh, they don't have uh, the oxygen in their blood. What would you like to tell us about both choking and drowning and how to protect ourselves and protect the victim if we come across someone that has that emergency? Well, I think that the approach is uh, really the same. Um, bystanders can save lives by reducing an obstruction in an airway with someone who's choking or by helping to remove a drowning victim from the water safely and doing the important interventions that helps them to reestablish breathing and circulation so that they have the best chance at good survival. Great, great. Um... So, Dr. Boats, uh, as we as we move to opioid overdose and poisoning, we know that uh, that the isolation has had an enormous impact on opioid uh, on the opioid pro problem. It hasn't gotten better; it's gotten worse. Uh, what do we need to know about the use of Narcan and uh, what we might need to know about opioid overdose now in the light of COVID? Is there anything different we would do? And do you want to reinforce what we need to know about when a victim wakes up? Well, I think one thing is certain, the opioid epidemic did not go away when the COVID pandemic happened. In fact, it got worse. The number of overdoses in our communities are even more so than before COVID. The number of people dying from opiate overdoses is staggering. 
but the training that we can provide for bystanders in using Narcan, the reversal agent for opiates, remains the same. Uh, if you see someone who is unresponsive and not breathing, if they have a pulse, it's most likely that opiates may be a contributing factor. It may be something else, but you need to consider opiate overdose as well. Doing what you can to open their airway safely and see if they will breathe is the first intervention, as long as, or excuse me, as well as calling 911 for additional help. If you have Narcan available, uh, using it to either squirt in their nose uh, or use an auto injector like, uh, uh, like an EpiPen that will inject it into one of the large muscles in their thigh uh, is life-saving. The fact that the opiate stops someone's breathing prevents them from getting oxygen into their bloodstream and circulating it to their tissues. And in a short amount of time, that can have very serious consequences with brain injury or even death. The only thing that I would say in the new normal that we do differently is perhaps to realize that when we give Narcan, the person may wake up, they may cough, they may be a bit agitated. And so we want to maintain distance and protect ourselves from those aerosols. Wear a mask yourself. But the act of putting someone in the rescue position if they're breathing or giving them Narcan and putting them in the rescue uh, position once they resume breathing is the life-saving intervention that any bystander can do. Fantastic. So, Dr. Boats, now uh, the next topic is anaphylaxis. And this is having the uh, allergic reaction, the intense allergic reaction to medications, to foods, to insect bites. Uh, enormous number of these occur, and more than 40% of them occur in people that did not know that they had an allergy. And we see one in 10 schools in America per year when we were attending school, not during Zoom, but when we were attending schools, one in 10 schools have an anaphylactic event uh, sometime during, the, 12, the, during the, the typical school year. What do we need to know about this? Is there anything new that we would do uh, regarding uh, this issue uh, in the new normal? So I don't think there's anything different that we would do in recognizing and treating a severe allergic reaction or anaphylaxis. Uh, the treatment of choice is to use an epinephrine injector, most often carried by people that know they have severe allergies, but sometimes not in someone who's having their first allergic reaction. As you said, maybe 40% of people uh, don't know that they have that severe allergic reaction until it happens. There's nothing really different that we would do in the post-COVID era, but being willing to uh, assist someone as a bystander and provide them with the epinephrine injection that they need is the important intervention. Great. Now, now Dr. Boats, uh, uh, as, we, as we look at major trauma, and we've really focused on delivering the Stop the Bleed training and certifying everyone that takes our MedTAC courses in, uh, in the use of tourniquets, wound packing, and pressure, and understanding the, the various locations where we might apply these principles. What do we need to know now in the new normal about uh, maintaining this, and we encourage everyone to get certified by the American College of Surgeons with Stop the Bleed. Yeah, we know that there are a number of people that will die from bleeding after 
uh, a violent act or even a, a something that happens around the house. Um, there are circumstances where kids may walk through a sliding glass window and be severely uh, lacerated and bleed. Uh, we know that if you cut one of the large arteries in your upper extremities, your lower extremities, you can bleed out in less time than it takes for the paramedics to arrive after calling 911. So bystanders can certainly save lives by doing simple interventions like putting direct pressure over a bleeding wound, uh, packing a wound with some gauze to enhance the pressure that's on the bleeding vessel. If it's in an extremity using a tourniquet that will uh, squeeze the blood vessel uh, closer to the heart and prevent the bleeding at that injured vessel are essential interventions. That's no different after COVID than before. So Dr. Boats, as we think about the victim, and we, let's say that we have a victim, and yesterday uh, a shark attack occurred at a Boy Scout camp here off of Catalina Island, where I live in the West Coast and where you are today with me, uh, and they had to airlift a young man uh, 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 to do that. Um, it, when we come across such uh, emergencies, is it reasonable to put a mask on the victim, put a mask on as we, uh, as we administer this care? And even with the anaphylactic uh, reaction, if they've, if they've responded well to the EpiPen, reasonable to put a mask on uh, the victim as well as yourself? Well, of course, I guess I neglected to add that. We have uh, precautions that we should use in the post-pandemic uh, era in our new normal state that help to reduce transmission of respiratory viruses like the coronavirus, like COVID, or any other virus or infectious agent. So wearing a mask and using good hygiene is essential to the conduct of bystander care. The risk of transmission may be low, but it's not zero. And so those safe practices are easy to do and may help prevent transmission. And although uh, high contact surfaces are probably less an issue than they have been, uh, maintaining good hand, good, using gloves and, uh, and hand hygiene, uh, we just want to reinforce that. And that brings us to uh, infection care, Dr. Boats. And uh, before uh, COVID, we had developed an expression, clean a cut, save a life. Uh, you can tell that that when we talked about take the shot, save a life, it kind of came from that. And actually, it came from an article that we helped get published many years ago uh, that we put in our in our Discovery Channel movie, which was check a box, save a life, which was using a checklist in during surgeries. That was an article that we helped uh, medical students write and get published uh, to use the WHO uh, checklist. And so checklists are really important. Uh, Dr. Boats, as we talk about infection care, and we see an awful lot of lacerations, and I see a lot of children that I help here who are at the beach, and, and we say you know three things. One, tell an adult. Two, soap and water three, apply the antibiotic ointment. And then uh, if it hurts more on day two than it was day one, that we would, uh, that you should see a physician. What should we add to this in the COVID environment? Uh, are there, is there anything we should add or know about to avoid what's called sepsis? And maybe you could describe what sepsis is. Yeah, sepsis is a real problem. In fact, it's one of the leading causes of death in the United States overall. Um, I work in an intensive care unit in a cancer hospital, and I deal with people with very much impaired 
immune systems, either from their cancer or the chemotherapy that we use. Sepsis is a real threat to them and to everyone. Luckily, our body has an immune system that helps to fight off most of the infectious uh, agents that we come in contact with. But when we get a cut or an injury that exposes our tissue to the outside environment, there's a risk for infection. Sepsis is the word we use to describe an overwhelming infectious response of the body, either from the organism itself, a bacteria or a fungus or something like that, or an over-exaggerated response of the body to that uh, infection with uh, an overwhelming inflammatory response that can cause organ system or um, injury to our body parts, if you will, our internal organs. Um, I spend time using life support measures to treat people while we're trying to treat the underlying uh, source of their sepsis. So as a bystander, uh, using the strategies of identifying a wound, cleaning it, uh, keeping it clean, and keeping a watchful eye for any signs of further infection is an important strategy. I think in the COVID era, we need to do the same things that we've just talked about. Uh, doing that interaction in a safe way. If there's a medical emergency, then perhaps putting a mask on you and on the, on the victim is a good strategy because you will be close to them. You will be uh, within the social distancing uh, recommendations that have been in place for some time. So wearing a mask um, is probably a very good strategy. Great. And now, Dr. Boats, uh, something that was really sad for us to learn uh, when we put MedTech together was how many driveover accidents occur in the driveway of the home and on the parking lots of schools. If you back out motor vehicle accidents and just look at driveway, driveover accidents, both at schools, in the driveway or the parking lot, and the home, there are over 100 that occur um, uh, uh, in, in it, uh, uh, a week, and 50 of them, about 50, 50 of them uh, occur front over, 50 of them uh, back over, uh, and 60% of those uh, are uh, by someone the child knows or a family member. Um, we have four deaths a week, actually. So anything that we would add regarding trauma victims that might be children when we come across somebody at an accident. So you could broaden the scope of your answer to not just drive over, but when we come across somebody uh, with a motor vehicle accident that's had trauma and may have been run over or in an accident, any tips that you'd like to give us? Well, I think the first thing to recognize is that with the COVID pandemic, we have been sheltered in home. The schools have pro probably been closed. We haven't been on our normal routine. Uh, as we have opened, people are now driving more, kids are going back to school, but we're kind of out of practice. I think that uh, maybe you recognize what I do. People don't drive as well as they did before the pandemic. They perhaps don't follow the traffic laws as readily as they did before. And there's a particular threat around schools because the routine that the school sets in place or how to conduct yourself when dropping off or picking up kids has not been practiced for some time. And this puts a significant risk of harm for our kids. Um, paying attention to the surroundings of your vehicle before you get in and drive off is really important. 
I think the same strategies that we were encouraging for reducing these transportation uh, injuries apply now after COVID. I think we need to pay more attention to the strategies that we need to follow in order to reduce the likelihood of causing a transportation accident to our kids around our home and around our schools. Thank you, Dr. Boats. And then finally, and I know Bill uh, uh, Adcox, Chief Adcox, uh, and you and I share uh, a lot of interest in workplace violence, but we know that you know, with children that bullying and workplace violence are absolutely critical. We know that uh, workplace violence will likely go up. Uh, we've had uh, an enormous jump in active shooter events and we haven't even opened the majority of our schools. And so uh, we know that the violence uh, can lead to that and anything we can do to mitigate that uh, are, are critical. Any of your, any comments there? They don't have to be limited to COVID. Well, I think that uh, we've been cooped up at home with a very significant alteration in our normal routine for more than a year now. And we know that that has taken a toll on many people. Many people have lost their jobs. They've lost their livelihood. They've lost loved ones to COVID. Uh, the stress levels in our communities are very high. And we know that the potential for bullying and workplace violence, even actor shooter events are directly related to the stressors that cause people to uh, commit violent acts. And so having attention to those stressors and having strategies to reduce the likelihood of significant bullying or workplace violence, as Chief Adcock says, getting left of boom before the event occurs and trying to intervene in those mental health issues that are driving some of these events is is worth our attention and our effort, but also having a strategy as bystanders to, to recognize and react to those events in a safe way. If there's a, a potential violent act occurring in your vicinity, get away, go as far as you can. The run, hide, fight strategy is very important. So as we move back into the new normal, we have to recognize that the stressors of the pandemic remain for some time and there are uh, there are more events that are occurring in our communities as people get back out into the public areas, and we need to be cognizant of that and, and act appropriately. We need to have the behaviors of safety to keep ourselves and others safe. Fantastic, Dr. Boats. Uh, uh, great, great review of, uh, of the areas that, that we're focused on with MedTech. What I'd like to do now is shift gears before we come back to you and our panel and just talk about families and what families can do to integrate what they're doing as they go forward. Uh, Mr. David Nash is uh, an award-winning uh, teacher and educator at a school here in Southern California. Uh, he was named uh, top teacher of the year in Orange County by Parenting Magazine. On the right were our first group of MedTAC students when we experimented uh, with um, teaching CPR, Stop the Bleed, and these other techniques to see if we could teach uh, these uh, young people uh, the skills in 2015 
and uh, we proved that you can see that the tourniquet is on the young man in the center of the picture. And uh, what we had developed over the years was the concept of the chief family officer, the CFO. It kind of plays on the idea of the CFO and being the chief family officer, someone who is in charge of, and if you go back to some of our Survive and Thrive courses, you'll see us address the role of the chief family officer and how they might put a plan together for response for uh, actually readiness, then response if someone gets an infection, rescue, recovery, and resilience. And working with uh, uh, Mr. Besk and uh, uh, Charlie uh, Denham, my son, um, they developed actually a checklist uh, called the Holiday Huddle Checklist. And Dr. Boats, you were the one that really inspired this with the, with the idea of the care huddle, getting together and putting together a checklist for responsibilities that people could take at a meeting or event, and they took your idea and developed uh, a checklist that young people, kids that were in lower school, middle school, upper school could use with their family to get ready for a social event. This was deployed when we had the really peak infections in, in Thanksgiving, and as we were heading to Christmas, New Year's and Easter, uh, that we knew that that family transmission chains were enormous. And so they worked together and created a video, uh, deployed that video. One of our leading, uh, Bill George, actually, one of our former CEOs of uh, Medtronic was visiting socially just as a friend. And uh, this is Charlie Denham actually going through the checklist and how what a safe event might be undertaken. And so uh, Mr. Bashk uh, could not be with us today, uh, but he's a terrific champion of uh, the work we're doing, putting in uh, rescue stations at beaches and with teams. Uh, he's today actually with a group of children at a marine rescue center, and he's carrying one of our care packs that has an automatic defibrillator and stop the bleed kits in case something were to happen. And we asked Mr. Bash to comment, and then we'll come back to our panel. David, it's really exciting to think about how far MedTech has come since 2015. You saved the first life. And now that we are approaching the new normal, uh, we're going to have to be very careful about infection. And what's your message regarding Good Samaritan care and still tackling saving a life? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Denham. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, what, what I have to say is that um, uh, bystander care is still critically important. We, we still have that, that Good Samaritan responsibility to, to take care of our, our fellow citizens. It just means that we need to um, improve our scene safety a little bit, take some extra precautions, especially with masking and hand hygiene. But it's still critically important for those first few minutes if we see something to take action and to, um, to put our skills to use. Great, David. And now as we as we kind of approach that new normal, um, I think you're our resident expert at training CFOs, chief family officers. You spend your life with younger children and then helping educate their families to bring them up. And you're a spectacular teacher. And I think part of it is the relationship and the training that you give our parents. Can you address this issue of the chief family officer and now what we need to do in the new normal? Absolutely. So uh, chief family officers in the family play a vital role in keeping everyone up to date with, with current information and making sure that everybody in the family knows their role and has a voice. Um, as an educator, one of the things that I, I mention most often to parents is honesty and communication and um, making sure that everybody understands some of the new tweaks that we want to um, implement with the new normal with masking and hand hygiene. 
but it's it's also very important that we are honest with our family members, especially the youngest members of our family. Um, we don't want to hide things. We want to make sure that they're they're informed and that we're being honest and that we're hearing their voices, giving everyone in the family not just a voice, but giving them an opportunity to take on action and to take leadership. The more that we can do that, the more honest we can be with everybody, the more upfront that we can be, the better that um, family units will work, the more comfortable everyone will feel. And in the end, the more effective we will be if we ever have to um, put our skills to use in any bystander care. Fantastic. Um, you and Charlie Denham, my son, worked on the Family Lifeguard Project that went out to more than 25,000 families uh, across the country to help in an emergency response to uh, family gatherings when we didn't have vaccinations. What's your thought now at the new normal? What would the Family Lifeguard do now at the new normal? Oh, great question. So, so the Family Lifeguard, um, I think, has proven itself to be an effective tool um, regarding COVID and especially now with the new normal. Um, I think what we can what we can be doing with that is again, number one, empower everyone in the family, even our youngest. I've got a, a five-year-old son that we empowered um, recently with some family gatherings, making sure that everybody understands where the hand washing stations are, making sure that when we're indoors, people um, are still wearing masks in certain areas. Um, but I think it's just critically important that everybody knows their role, that everyone has a chance to be given a role. And again, it comes back to being honest and just being upfront with, um, with what the concerns might be. And every event might be different depending on, on who's coming, depending on where it is, depending on the size of the gatherings. All these things are so fluid. Um, it just takes a little bit of time as, a, as the CFO, the chief family officer to sit down and review the expectations, review what's in front of us and just plan accordingly. Fantastic. As we talk about the variants, we may be facing years of periodic outbreaks and waves. And uh, tell me about how important it is to turn the science into safety. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know if there is anything more important than that is turning the science into safety. I think that um, in order for this new normal to continue to evolve and for us to continue to stay safe and Lord willing for us to, to stamp out this, this terrible virus, I think Listening to the listening to the science and letting the science guide all of us, and not being afraid of science and and facing it head on. And again, I'm going to use the word again: honesty. Making sure that everybody is is honest in in what they know and honest in their communication. Um, I think it's it's critically important for us to let the science dictate dictate our actions. And um, again, involve everybody in the family. Don't be don't be afraid to have conversations with people. Sometimes they, they might be difficult depending on certain family members, but um, we still need to have it and empower as many people in the family as we can to, um, to keep ourselves safe and to move forward. David, what's your, uh, what are your thoughts regarding the MedTac Adopt-A-Cove program and putting rescue stations in at beaches and at uh, team parks and uh, in public locations where we can have three minutes from drop to shock? Yeah, what are my, what are my feelings on it? I, 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 and I'm overwhelmed with a sense of pride um, and, and, and relief that, uh, you know, I've played a small role in, in helping some of these amazing young leaders, um, your son being one of them, to, to adopt the coves and to put these rescue stations and to set up 911 communication and making sure that we are, are spreading the, the reach of MedTAC and, and putting, putting to great use these, these wonderful resources and this knowledge that we have 
that, you know, it, it's a matter of time. I was, I've been at the beach all week with, with some school camps with some young children and I'm carrying backpacks with AEDs and, and tourniquets and, and all the things that we're trying to put into coves. And the more, the more places that we can put these, these life-saving tools and the more people that we can get um, utilizing them, the better, because it's just making our community safer, which in my opinion is, is one of the greatest, most noble things that we can do. So um, I, I'm overwhelmed with pride. I'm welling up right now just thinking about the beautiful lives that eventually inevitably are going to be saved, people that are going to be helped um, as a result of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm thankful, and I, I'm just thank the Lord for the opportunity for them to be there. Well, David, we're so grateful for your commitment, and MedTech wouldn't be where it is without you and Dr. Boats and Chief Adcox and a number of the folks that are on today, uh, and your first, your first winner of the Soaring Eagle Award for saving uh -huh. life. So uh, God bless you and all you do. You too, Dr. Nem. Thank you for your leadership and all that you do. It's been a pleasure and a blessing working with you. So, uh, so what we'd like to do now is is go to our uh, go to our panel and uh and ask them to kind of react and have have summary thoughts of uh, where we are bill you started us off uh bill would you start our conversation now uh as we uh as we talk about uh, uh wrapping up and what what we can take from what we've heard from dr boats a fabulous presentation and the comments from the entire group and the wonderful video that all of our young people contributed to bill your thoughts well, thanks again, Dr. Ben. And well, what, what a wonderful group of uh, panelists and individuals. And I can't thank enough the, uh, the uh, future leaders of tomorrow, these young uh, adults that are doing so much. Um, this, uh, just overwhelming pride in what they do. But I, will I also want to say that um, we're in a new world, a new time. We've kind of touched on the, the uh, psychological stress and the issues that are, that are going on with everybody having uh, to work through what we're working through with the pandemic. And uh, we're seeing tremendous increases in, in violent crime across our country, unfortunately. We're seeing road rage at, at levels we've never seen before. Well, no reason why people should be on, on edge the way they are. Now people are being asked to come back into the workplace. Our children are getting ready to go back to school. It's, it's, there's a good chance a lot of the children that were being bullied at home now, they've got to go into school, either face the bully or, or get even with the bully. Um, there's, there's just so much out there when it comes to the psychological safety that we need to put into place. So with that said, the, uh, the eight measures that were talked about today under the MedTag program are more critical today than they've ever been. And, and, and to the free information, readily accessible, uh, through the websites and, and through the work that's being done on MedTech, it, it is invaluable and we should get the message out and get everybody engaged because these are proven methods to prevent death in preventable uh, areas and how to bring some help and how to save people's lives, period. So it's more important today than it's ever been and I, I encourage you all to get involved. And again, thanks, thank everybody today for the program and especially the uh, young adults that are that are their leaders for tomorrow. So thank you. Well, thank you, Bill. And thank you for being a real pioneer in safety science for us. Uh, Danny Policicchio, you know, you're a master storyteller and you have a career in the future there. I think you've got a future on camera as well. What uh, 
what would you like to say and wh what would you like to share as a message to families and college uh, college students, young adults, those that are in this uh, high risk group right now? We know that there's a real surge in teenagers, but we know that the greatest number of admissions to hospitals are the people that are under 50 uh, with, uh, with some significant risk to the new uh, virus from India, the Delta virus. I just want to re, uh, reiterate what I said earlier, that even though we're approaching back to a form of normalcy to stay vigilant and to keeping safe, especially with the new Delta variant that's coming in, and just the importance of that uh, vaccination, not only for yourself, but for everyone around you, and the importance of wearing masks still and just staying safe. Thank you, Danny, and thank you for being our producer. And again, thank you for saving the life in New York City. You stepped up. It's, it was, kind of, was it kind of scary? I mean, to an extent, but I think uh, with MedTech and everything I've learned, it made it a lot more um, something I could just kind of step in and it felt like natural, if that made any sense. Well, thank you for all that you, you've done. Uh, Jamie, uh, you're, you're winding up your summer now, heading into medical school, and you'll be very active in learning how to apply so many of the principles that Dr. Boats uh, has shared. Your thoughts, your closing thoughts. Well, I remember back in high school, one of my English teachers had a maxim and he said to be ready is to be willing. And so as you talk about all of the different ways that we have to be ready to face all of these crises, be the infection prevention or CPR or anything, um, it just really encourages me, A, that there is an opportunity in an organization that teaches people not only to be ready, but also to be willing um, to go out and tackle these life-saving issues. And so I'd like, again, to express my thanks and also as a sort of call to arms to our audience to um, go forward and be willing to save lives. And really, that's what it ultimately boils down to. And that's our greatest and most important mission. Jamie, your, your background in science and having uh, in-depth scientific focus and your future, I believe, probably be you know specializing in something that really turns the science into lives being saved and that kind of thing. Has, uh, has your experience through COVID and kind of studying what's gone on uh, given you ch a bigger challenge than you thought before you started applying to medical school? It certainly did. I mean, in a lot of different ways, it's been challenging, um, but I think as somebody who's very interested in medicine and potentially even medical education, um, it's really revealed to me how important it is to be truthful and to be honest and to be able to tell the truth, not just to yourself and understand the truth, but also to the general population. Because the more everybody understands about how to be safe and how to go about save your life safely, the more um, rich, more meaningful and, and more lives that we can save. So. Um, it's 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 challenging in a whole host of ways, but it's also um, very exciting too. Well, I think uh, I think Dr. Boats and I probably would uh, want to be in your shoes that first day and kind of relive some of the great, some of the positive experiences medical school. Not all of them were positive, but uh, most of them were. And uh, and we're so excited about your future and what a great doctor that you'll be, uh, Dr. Boats. Uh, your your summary. Thank you so much, Dr. Boats, for inspiring us. Uh, you, you can tell that the holiday lifeguard really came from the inspiration of your care huddle uh, idea. And uh, we just want to um, thank you for a great presentation. But what, what thoughts do you have for uh, families of essential workers and the caregivers that care for them? Well, this has been a fantastic program. And thank you for including me. 
Uh, I think uh, the focus I would like to leave people with is that our, our program, MedTAC, is providing knowledge and skills and empowering people to act in very serious situations where lives are at risk. And by using that education and training uh, in the gap between the event occurrence and the arrival of professional first responders is crucial to survival. And people can use these skills easily to save a life. COVID sort of interrupted our MedTAC journey because we focused very closely on the infectious disease mission in MedTAC and tried to expand the, the knowledge and skills of families to take care of themselves and their community uh, in this horrible pandemic that we've experienced. But we're gonna continue to move forward with bystander care in engaging people in understanding the preventable causes of death in young people and the skills that they can use to save a life in the interval until professional care can arrive. That's our goal, that's our focus, and we're gonna continue doing that. And I'm excited to see this program as a summary of many of the things that we did during COVID and a reinvigoration of our goal to move back into bystander care and provide the training and, and education that will help people save lives. Uh, it's been very rewarding. Well, thank you, Dr. Boats. And the, behind you uh, is a lot of the gear that uh, we've, we're putting to work with uh, universities and with uh, the uh, coves and with a number of the uh, teams. And, uh, and so uh, thank you for your inspiration. Uh, 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 Mr. Beshk uh, said he wanted to just make sure that we remembered that we can't keep adding things. The pack is getting heavier as we start to, to add things. And so uh, we're learning a lot. But thank you so much, Dr. Boats. And, um, and what we'll do uh, now, for those of you that are, that are seeing this streaming on, on Facebook and other social media, if you want to go to, uh, to be able to follow uh, what we're doing, it, the, our website is www.medtacglobal.org. Uh, and we'd love to have you uh, join us. We're now streaming this from multiple locations and uh, we want to thank uh, uh, all of you for um, helping us today. It's just been a, a, a terrific uh, experience. Um, and uh, I will close us today, uh, given that our, um, uh, our voice of the patient, uh, uh, Jenny Damon was sick today. And what we like to say at the end of every one of our programs is fight the good fight, finish the race and keep the faith. We know that everyone uh, is a, a patient and everyone can be a caregiver. So we wanna thank all of you for your attendance and we'll let you know if we have future webinars and survive and thrive programs. Uh, henceforth, we're going to be moving forward to curate all 12 of the courses to keep them up with the changing science. So thank you for your attention today and we'll close this webinar.